What a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm excited to see all the faces that are here. And if you're not in the room, what joy that you're connected in this moment. Uh, all right, I'm already getting a little, little steady up here. We're getting, we're going to just put that there. There we go. Uh, hey, uh, we're talking about God is love. We've been in a series on the attributes of God. And we're in this series on attributes of God. Here is what we're understanding. It, we're not necessarily heavy on, now how does this apply to my life and what will I be doing? It's like, it, it's like you're going to get that. But we're going to major in what do we need to know about God? Who is God? And because we are going to understand who God is, we go, oh, I believe I know what I need to do with life in, in that capacity that way. Well, love the series. This is the last one. I'm kind of bummed, but we're going to have a great next series. When I was driving in the car this week with my wife, Terry, we talked about, oh yeah, talking about God is love. She just starts whipping off this little 90s children's song that, that's, a, that's a Sunday school song called God is Love. G-O-D is L-O-V-E. God is love. God is love. G-O-D is L-O-V-E. So I'm going to invite you to, because I sing horribly and I can't get that song out of my head. I can't get it out of my head. And I want to infect you with having that in your head. I want to share it. So, so help me out. Sing that a little bit. But if you don't want to sing it, at least you can do it like this. You ready? Like G-O-D is L-O-V-E. There you go. Like, like can, can, can you give me an L-O-V-E? Here we go. You ready? L-O-V-E. E. All right, so it's optional whether you sing it or, or express it. Hang on, I don't know exactly how this is coming out of my mouth, but, but, but let's do it. All right, G-O-D is L-O-V-E. G-O-D is L-O-V-E. God is love. God is love. G-O-D is L-O-V-E. All right, give yourselves a hand. Give yourselves a hand on that. Steve Green, Hide Him in Your Heart Scripture Songs is where that is from. Uh, will you continue to participate in this moment here? Read this familiar verse, John 3, 16. Let's do it together. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Lord God Almighty, thank you that you are with your children today. May your word impact us in such a way that we can't help but share it. And thank you for loving us. In your mighty name, amen. Quick summary. We have been talking about the attributes of God, that God is creator, God is covenant maker, God is holy, uh, God is omni, meaning uh, all that, that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, fully present, and uh, today we talk about God is love, and John 3.16 hits that home with us. We're going to talk a little bit. What we're going to do is, here, and uh, book of John, we're going to do a topical study on the concept of love, particularly on John and his relationship with Jesus and the fact that he authors 
Uh, John 3, 16, he authors the Gospel of John. 57 times in the Gospel of John, he references love. Uh, more than Matt, Mark, Luke combined, the other Gospel writers, he's gonna reference the concept of love in his letters to the churches some 40-some times. And not only does John reference it, but really when, when the New Testament writers collectively together begin to say, how do we describe who God is? They choose the word love. Just again and again and again and again. So we wind up thinking when we think about love, there's this certain like emotive aspects that come into our mind when we think that somebody's in love with someone. And uh, I, I just hearken back uh, to the movie Pirates of the Caribbean a bit. Uh, Will Turner has taken a fancy to Elizabeth Swan. And uh, Miss Swan has been taken captive by pirates. So Will reaches out to a frenemy in Captain Jack Sparrow, and they're going to go try to rescue Elizabeth from the hand of the pirates. Well, in the conversation, Captain Jack says, so uh, you really love her, huh? How far are you willing to go? And Will says, I die for her. And he goes, that ought to do it then, you know, because it may take that. Now, now, just know that Elizabeth puts her life on the line for Will several times. They have this mutual love for one another where they're serving and sacrificing for one another. But in, in, this, in, the, in the opening movie, then Captain Jack and Will are going ninja-like uh, out to commandeer a, a speedy boat. And so they're using... They're using a canoe to create a, create some, a, a water, uh, an air gap, and they're, they're walking out uh, in the, through, the, through the coastline, and, and Will gets the plan. He goes, this plan is lunacy. It's insanity. And Jack says, Captain Jack says, it is amazing how often genius and insanity begin to intertwine. When we hear the rescue plan that God has, that God would send his son to die for us, it seems like lunacy. It is so risky, and yet it is so genius. It is the genius plan that God has. And it's, it, it, it just wonder, you know, it, it seems like, is God in hot pursuit of us? Is God just so enamored with you and you and you that God is, yeah, God loves you. God has done crazy, wild things to pursue you. It's genius, though, and it seems utterly insane. Uh, but here's the thing. In the Word of God, love is never simply an emotion. It's never simply a feeling. Uh, the word that is used to describe love in the New Testament, Greek language is agape, and that's action-oriented. And the word that is used to describe love in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, 250-some times, is what we just put here. It is hased. And it it's always something you do. The Hebrew mind is action-oriented in that way. So, so catch how this drifts here in Exodus 34. There's no single English word that quite gets it. So check out all these terms. The Lord, the Lord, 
a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that's Hesed, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, Hesed, for thousands of generations. And so we will always see steadfast love, faithful love, loving kindness described again and again and again to the way in which God loves and pursues people. Back to the person of John for just a moment. John described himself as the person who Jesus loved. He never uses his name when he writes the Gospel of John. And he was one of the individuals that Jesus would walk up to and say, hey, you fish for fish? How about you come follow me and fish for people now? And John left everything he had and followed him. And he saw amazing things that were done. Uh, one of those amazing things that uh, Jesus would take John and a, and a few others up to what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And so you remember when we talked about the holiness of God, as Moses encounters this, this bush that doesn't burn up because it's filled with the very presence and the glory of God, on the Mount of Transfiguration, that full glorified state of Jesus begins to appear, and he is ablaze in glory, and John is witness to that. Uh, John witnesses so, so many things. Uh, in fact, uh, Jesus kind of poked fun at him. He called them uh, sons of thunder. His father was Zebedee. His mother was Salome. And he was connected to Jesus. He was, he was, it looks like he was a cousin to Jesus. Uh, and he had some connections, John did, uh, with, with Pilate. He actually got Peter in to that courtyard because John had connections. And that's how Peter got in to uh, where he winds up denying Jesus. John uh, is there at the cross. He's the only disciple at the cross. And he's at the cross. He's standing next to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And from the cross, Jesus says, Mother, behold thy son. Speaking to John, Son, behold thy mother. And so as the eldest son marries a widow, uh, marries under the charge of Jesus, he says, I want you to take my mom into your home. And that's, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, when the resurrection occurs, John is one of two. Pete and John run to the tomb. Uh, John notes that the disciple whom Jesus loved happened to get there first. Uh, I think that's kind of interesting. And he's the one that goes in and sees the empty grave clothes. He is witness to so many amazing things. And when John begins to think and ruminate and reflect, how do I describe who God is? He uses this term love. He spent so much time with Jesus. Uh, he lived much longer than any of the other disciples. Uh, so he had time to, to marinate on this. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, Mark was the first gospel that was written. And then about 10 or 15 years later, Matt and Luke write. And then about 10 or 15 years later, John writes. So he's incredibly reflective. And if you ever had times to teach, and maybe some of you were teachers in, in some capacity, what do you do? Over time, you figure out how to teach it better. You hone it. You, you begin to put it together. And so John's gospel is an utter masterpiece. There is so much... Hebrew parallelism and symmetry that's going on. It is amazing when you begin to understand. He talks about there's these seven signs, uh, uh, there's these seven I am statements, and we're not really doing any of those things right now, but he wrote a masterpiece. He was probably well into his 90s when he died. Uh, so when he writes the Gospel of John, he didn't write till much later in his life. Uh, he wrote in the 90s, the Gospel of John. Uh, he probably wrote a few years after that, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, 
and the letters to churches. And he wrote the Revelation shortly after that, 95 or maybe 100 AD. He lived in Ephesus. And it was said that he had even taken Mary with him to Ephesus. So you see the map of where that pops up. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that's interesting about John in his writings of the letters and the gospel, he was really writing to people. One of the things he was putting in there was, hey, be careful, be careful, be on your guard against, he didn't use the term, but you can tell he's writing about it, Gnosticism, because that was beginning. He lived long enough, he could see that that was out there. Gnosticism meant... Uh, that we believe that Jesus is just spirit, not, not human, because, you know, nothing, only evil things are physical, fleshly. And John was right. No, no, Jesus was fully God. And the, the word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and so you can see that he's saying, God, Jesus, fully God, fully human. He also really wrote, and I don't think they had the term then, against, uh, to, to warn us against agnosticism, meaning I don't really know if there's enough that I can believe that Jesus is really the Son of God, if he really did rise from the dead. And he says, the purpose why I write this gospel to you is so that you might believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. Uh, that, that house you just saw, by the way, there's a little house that popped up there. Uh, that's in Ephesus, and that is believed to be the place that John uh, lived with Mary, that he took care of her there. I don't know if it is, but somebody's making a few shekels off that. Uh, they, they, that, that that's constructed that way. Uh, and Luke, when Luke writes, we get all the great Christmas stories out of the Gospel of Luke. Well, Luke interviewed all kinds of people, and so one of my wonderings and ponderings is, I, I kind of figured John probably set that up and figured out how to help connect Luke with Mary since, since Mary was in his charge and in his keeping. Another uh, interesting fact about John was uh, all the other disciples were martyred at some point in time, and he lived a long, long time. Now, tradition has it that they tried to martyr John, that they threw him in a vat of boiling oil, and just nothing happened to him miraculously. And he pops out going, well, that was just a good cleanse right there. And everybody went, ah, forget about it. You know, let's move on. I, and, but he is utterly amazing. We're going to come back to some of the things he wrote. Now, this last week, I went to a store. I went to a place called the Gaming Warehouse. Uh, sorry, Gamer's Wharf. Gamer's Wharf. There, there it is. Uh, and in it, I never, I never really buy things there, but, but my son really likes going there. It's where one of these thinky kind of places, these very sophisticated kind of games are in that spot. Well, on the shelf were a couple of Grogu's, a couple of Baby Yodas. I couldn't reach them from where I was at. Couldn't, couldn't get to them. They were back there behind the shelf. So I asked the owner of the store, hey, I'd be really interested in purchasing one of those baby Yodas to take it to my wife's kindergarten class and that they could have it as one of their, their toys during playtime. And he says, oh, well, that's a collector's action figure. It's not a toy for children. He didn't say anything else. I waited patiently for him to bring me them. He didn't. He just sat there. I never, he never, he was, he was not going to sell them to me because they could wind up in the hands of children and their collector's action figures. After I stood there for a couple minutes, I just kind of walked away. Uh, and then kind of joked as we went out the door and he goes, he goes, they're, they're action figures. They're not toys, you know, and he just kind of, well, little did he know that a year ago I bought one. Uh, and asked Terry to take a picture of, of Grogu uh, in her classroom. So this is more how I think 
Grogu should be operating. Uh, she, she just said, oh yeah, the kids built him a, a high chair so he can have meals with them at, at the kitchenette area there. <laughs> and, and I don't want to overdo, you know, the, the importance of Grogu in our lives, so we'll just kind of show that. But I want to say this, you know, it, it just kind of struck me, we, we can do that same thing. We want to keep God all packaged up and at a distance. Or we think that's how God operates. God is so highly valuable that God is not going to engage with us. Quit putting God on a shelf. Quit packaging and boxing. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, shows up, shows up to engage in life with us? to fully engage. It's almost like, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, and in Brady Grogu's case, you know, uh, I'm gonna come and eat with them if you build me a high chair. God, God wants to show up and participate with you in the details and the function of your life. Don't miss God showing up. Well, here's where we're gonna go. The New Testament's written in the Greek language, but it's primarily written by people who think like Hebrews. So we do study like, well, what's going on in the Greek world? Because that does have influence. But when there is a person of Jewish, Israel, Hebrew origin, we kind of got to think like, well, how do the Hebrews think? Uh, so this is what's going on in the Gospel of John. We're going to see that this term of oneness is used again and again and again and it's really incredibly intertwined with the concept of love. We'll kind of walk through that a little bit before we dig into John specifically. So here's the Shema, the, what Israel was directed to receive. It's, it's this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? The Lord is one. And then what do we see next? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so it is a prayer that Hebrew people continue to pray to this day. And as they pray this prayer, there's a custom that they do. They will bow their head and they'll cover their eyes. And the reason that they cover their eyes is because they, want, they don't want to be distracted by anything else. They only, they only want to focus on this thought, on this God-honoring thought. And also one of the other concepts is um, that, you know, when you, when you address God, God is so utterly, God is light, God is bright, that, that just like I, I'm going to shield myself in, in honor of God's amazing glory. Well, this goes on, and you're going to see a young New Zealand soccer player. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, lie down, when you lie down and get up. Tie them in symbols on your hands. You're to teach these things to your children. Write them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and of your houses and your gates. And so there is a distinct reason why John and the New Testament writers begin to intertwine the concept of oneness and love together. It's, they, just, they just go together. And so now we're going to plow into to this aspect of the book of John and see this repetitive theme. Uh, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees this father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Okay, can you give a shout out? Can you say oneness? Here we go. Oneness. All right, give a shout out. Say love. 
love. Exactly. Fantastic. Now, it's going to go on. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And I think we ought to uh, participate here and say, I will be amazed. Here we go. I will be amazed. We're going to be amazed at the oneness and the love that is going on. So 12 times in the Gospel of John, and 12 significant because 12 is the tribes of Israel, it's the number of disciples, it's incredibly representational, the people of God. When we see that number, and John's incredibly intentional about the number of times he mentions things, and half of those times, six of those times, he's gonna reference it in the oneness that Jesus and the Father have, and the other half of the times he's gonna reference it in times that, 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 that we as brothers and sisters in Christ have together in oneness. Uh, check out what happens in John 10. Jesus says, I and the Father are one, all right? And the very next verse, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Hmm. Whoa, but just, that seems pretty harsh. I and the Father are one. I'm going to throw stones at you. And, and Jesus responds, you're not going to see this, but he says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Which, for which of these good works do you stone me? <laughs> and they say, because you claim to be God. Wow. They, they, they fully understood that dynamic of, of the oneness claim. In John 14, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing this work. Uh, can we do it one more time? Can we say oneness? Here we go, loud and strong. Oneness and love. Here we go, love. Those, those are intertwined together. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Now, we've been talking about father-son things, and oftentimes then, we begin layered into this, we begin to hear about the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. So we come to this dynamic about God is love, and the way that we really understand that, well, yeah, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. Through the participation the power of the Spirit of God. Let's go to the baptism of Jesus, shall we? When we go to the baptism of Jesus, here's what is taking place. Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. The Spirit of God in form of dove comes and rests on him and says, and, and the heaven opened up and we hear the voice of God saying, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And you see these three operative, and, and you see all throughout the rest of the New Testament, the Spirit of God, the Son of God, the Father of God. You see all these references here. And you see in the baptism of Jesus, what we're intended to see is we're going back to page one of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, where the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. So that's like dove-like, that's like, it's hovering over the waters. And it is the word of God that comes out and creation begins to take place. And John will say, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has ever been made. And, and what is going on in this relationship? And I'm going to write it down here. It is an eternal community of love. Ah. I'm sure you know how to spell it, whether you see it spelled right here or not. All right. Uh, it's an eternal community of love. So what is God doing before creation? Before our 
existence. This. It's, it's a I love you, you love me. It's like, woo, this is, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Now, now check this out. If God is an eternal community of love and, why, and God, let me say this, that God is not a solitary, powerful being. Now, God is all powerful, yes, but God is not solitary. God exists in community. So God is not bored. God is not lonely. God did not create because God was bored. God did not create because God was curious. God did not create because God was, felt lonely or had any kind of lack of anything. God created because this community of love is so great, I can't wait to share it. I want to share love. I, God just can't stop creating. God cannot stop loving. And God wants to be invitational for that kind of participation in our lives. So when Jesus comes up out of the water in his baptism moment, and this is my son who I love and him I am well pleased, what we're hearing and we're understanding throughout all the New Testament is this is the dawn of a new creation. This is the beginning. We've experienced creation, but now we're going to experience a new creation. Now we're going to experience a new covenant with, with my son being the very center of those things. Listen to this oneness and love dynamic once again. This comes from 1 John 4. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So we now rely on the love that God has for us. Let me pop over. I'm gonna write some dynamics down that are, that you, that you know them, but they're, incredible repetitive themes throughout the New Testament when it comes to what it means for God being loved, that we understand that love serves and sacrifices. There's great serving and there's great sacrifice with love. Um, we understand that um, love is life-giving, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him has life and has it abundantly. And I might even just kind of pound on that a little bit to say, eternity begins now. Eternal life, begin, it begins right now. And it is gonna go into eternity, but it's not just a someday. It's now, and it's eternal. Um, we know this, that God's love is enemy embracing. That's a repetitive theme. Meaning, we don't dictate who gets invited to God's party. God's gonna invite all kinds of people. God's gonna invite people that we don't really care so much about. But that's just how, and, and we are told to what? Love our Repetitive themes that God is a gift God and God is generous and God just loves to pour out. And so that's what happens in our lives as well. And something that is incredibly beautiful. And when it comes, this is a relationship that we are called children of God, that God wants to have that blessed, beautiful type of relationship with us, that God is inviting you in. So today, here's what we get to do. Here's, an, here's just, let, let's just hit on that invitation to participate. And we, I just, some of you need to, uh, you're gonna receive this all over again and just say, God, you are love and I love you. And, but maybe for some right now in this moment, you're gonna say, I wanna begin that. I, I want that to be fresh and new in my life. I'm gonna read some scripture and you just need to say, God, forgive me. I wanna follow you.
and then we're gonna receive a blessing, then we're gonna just sing our hearts out. But here's, here's Romans 8. This is what Paul writes. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Death can't separate us from God's love. Things, things of this earth can't separate us from God's love. Angels, demons, they can't separate us from God's love. So whatever it is that you just thought, yeah, but what about this? Can't do it. Uh, worries, worries about tomorrow, concerns about today cannot separate us from God's love. What did you just think about? That doesn't separate you from God's love. That has no power over you. Even the powers of hell cannot separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what? If this is how God works and how God operates, it makes all the difference in the world. Because, because God is just full of love. God wants to share it. That's why we are invited to participate and to be included and to experience it and share it. It makes, if we were created by a singular, powerful being that is distant and disconnected, oh friends, that is not the God of the Holy Scriptures. The God of the Holy Scriptures is described in these ways where there is love and there is invitation for participation. It makes all the difference in the world. So the great summation of what God's loving community is like, it happens in John 17, is when that comes to full culmination. And Jesus prays and says, now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory we had before the world began. We kind of go back. It's, it's a party going on that God wants to share. I want people to experience what we experience. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand in this moment for a blessing. We're gonna go through, through that prayer. Would you just stand right now? And we're gonna go through measures of John 17. I got a little pastor thought, and then we got, have another extension of that. So hang on, but would you receive, would you be able to receive this? Just put your hands out like this. And these are the words of Jesus. And this is what, where he, this is the part he specifically prays over us. My prayer is not for them alone. These are the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you were in me and I am in you. I in them and you in me, so they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory of the one you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Keep receiving this blessing. Here's the pastor thought. To love others as we should, we first need to understand how deeply and irrevocably God loves us, his people. The blessing continues. Those are the words that close 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and may the love of God the Father and may the fellowship of the Spirit of God rest upon you. May you be part of the eternal community of love that begins now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go ahead, have a seat. Be blessed. 
And we're going to continue just with a spirit of, of reflective praise in this moment. Uh, we're going to look to the screen, and then we're going to sing for great joy. But this, you're listening to the words of Dr. S.M. Lockridge. That's my king. It ends our service and our series. <laughs> 